Hello and welcome to the IC Companies and Markets show. My name's Ian Smith. I'm the company's editor of the IC. This week's big questions after a calamitous profit warning, is subprime lender Provident Financial dead in the water? 30 years on from the Black Monday stock market crash, what can we learn from the man who predicted the whole thing? And how are the listed builders and property developers responding to generation rent? We'll have Simon Thompson on the line discussing a couple of his sector picks. Joining me in the studio today, we have our news editor, Emma Powell. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's been a busy week, just coming to the end of the corporate results season. And uh, we also have our tips editor, Algie Hall. How are you doing, Algie? Mighty fine, thanks. Good to hear it. Emma, let's start with Provident Financial, a company that you cover, which had, as I say, a massive profit warning this week. Uh, It shares two thirds down, a pretty big fall for a FTSE 100 company as a result of that profit warning. Tell us uh, some of the background to what's going on. Basically, in June, the company first warned and said this kind of transition, this overhaul of their home credit business hadn't been running as smoothly as they thought it had been. Um, The background to that is basically they're just replacing their kind of self-employed agent model um, with these kind of full-time customer experience managers, they're calling them. So this is then the traditional doorstep lending business made that change. And we had um, the CEO of Provident Financial in the studio actually not too long ago discussing this change and the execution risk which has actually proved to be quite profound to make this business that part of the business more efficient yeah, exactly. Obviously, that that was a decision they took, and they also downsized the business. Um, you know, reduced the number of agents they had. They knew there would be some disruption. Of course, they estimated that would be around fifteen million in June. The shares fell. Obviously, in terms of the impact on underlying profits for the full year. Yeah, just from that business, from that business's contribution. And the shares fell, I think it was around 17% on the day that was announced. But it was very much kind of stated as, you know, something that was just part of the transition and then would be a one-off, basically. They'd successfully transferred a lot of the agents across and they thought that would be just a dip. They were very reassuring to investors at that point. Yeah, exactly. And even they had their interim results uh, not long ago in July, uh, end of July I think it was and I spoke to Peter Crook then um, and he said very much that they thought the business was going to be getting back, the home credit business was going to be getting back on track in the third quarter and really recovering and that was, you know, so still sticking to that kind of same line. And at that point we did take the stock to a neutral uh, recommendation on, on the basis that we were a little bit concerned about turning the credit cycle what that would mean for lenders like Provident but also because of the operational upheaval, although we didn't foresee it being anywhere as bad as it's turned out to have been. Well, no, exactly. I mean, when we, when we covered the results, my major concerns were you know, around the general, uh, the, the credit cycle, that kind of thing. I mean, some people have commented on Vanquist Bank kind of slowing its growth and things like that, but I don't think that was too much of an issue. It was more around concerns about the wider credit cycle. Okay, and then a massive profit warning this week. The CEO, Peter Crook, who you mentioned, has has stepped down and now a a big loss for that same division. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty disastrous. Hence, the uh, I think the shares closed the day about 67% down, which for a FTSE 100 company is massive. 
And basically, so starting with the home credit business, uh, that's going to be a lot worse than expected. It hadn't, it's it's not recovering in the third quarter, the business as they expected. Um, and what's what's been hurt is not just this elevated uh, kind of vacancy rate that they've had with their agents, but actually the uh, software that they're using, um, which has details like when a customer's going to be in, when's the best time to call, actually was throwing up some incorrect data. Um, so that's meant that their their collection rate is running around 57% compared to the 90% mm. um, at the same time during 2016. So that's really hurt them. So And it's impacted on new business one as well. On new business, exactly. Um, and, and so they did think that, um, okay, there would be, it was it was then got revised up and it was going to be um, £60 million. Um, at the first half results, they thought £60 million will be slashed off the home credit business that's now um going to be between 80 and 120 million pound loss for that business which is massive and an added problem that they're now um that now has come to light in regards to their vanquish credit card that you previously mentioned yeah exactly and i think that's almost worse because that's more of the unknown so basically that's concerning um these repayment option plans. Some people have referred to it as as like PPI. It's not quite like an insurance product, um, really, having having spoken with the company. It's more that you can purchase this product if you've got an account with Provident. And it basically means that you can freeze your repayments and it won't hurt your credit rating with them. So it won't go down on your credit record with them. And then you can restart them again. So that's what it's like. It doesn't so much payout or anything like that it's more you can freeze them and obviously you get um you get charged a fee it's around i think one pound 29 per 100 pounds but you mentioned ppi account. and the, the fca is now investigating the sale of this product which they had previously stopped actually selling um, and people are worried there might be a ppi style repayment of the premiums paid um, and that's feeding into a lot of the bearishness around the stock yeah, so they, they actually entered into voluntary suspension of selling this product in April 2016. And obviously earlier this week, Provident came out, Providence Management came out and said that actually um, the FCA were investigating the sale of this product between the 1st of April 2014 until 2016, when they obviously suspended selling the product. Um, like you said, I guess you can see why people are drawing or kind of using analogies around PPI because it's the potential is and I guess the concern is and why I imagine the shares fell so much is that there is that now the potential that they may have to pay back a lot of money as well as the money they make from the back book from the stuff they've exactly, already sold which is around 70 million pounds a year in terms of in revenue and gross revenue so it's it's, it's quite a sizable amount of money okay and so the shares actually jumped back up 16 percent uh, today on thursday as a lot of people decided to catch this falling knife a big holder of the stock is the uh, well-known fund manager neil woodford put out a very supportive note saying that he didn't think that the vanquist repayment option plan is going to be a redress issue in the sense they'll have to pay back premiums uh, that the provident financial has a good um, relationship with the regulator and that the home credit um, business uh, is actually uh, just operationally challenged there's no problem with the underlying credit so that's the that's the bull case uh, how do you think that stands up 
Um, I mean, definitely, this actually, prior to its profit warnings, was really highly rated. Um, the stock was really highly rated. I think if you look at the just analyst coverage, I think practically all had it on a buy. Um, management, again, was very, Peter Crook, very highly rated. Obviously, now he's stepped down um, and been replaced by the former chairwoman, who's now executive chairwoman. Again, obviously, cut the valuation has come down a lot. I think um, if even if you take um, forecasts that have been um, reduced for this year, it's on about 12 times. It was trading much, much higher than that before. You know, you can say, well, you've still obviously you've got this kind of ROP, these repayment option plan, um, the issue of that, and that's a big unknown. But actually, Vanquish Bank is still growing. It's on track there. Management have said Satsuma on track. Um, That's the online lender. Yeah. And what's the big uh, sell case? Why should you think the shares have still got further to fall? The big sell case is, I think, predominantly this major unknown now that we now have around this repayment option plan. It's only just come out that it's even under investigation. I mean... And the lesson of similar products, I suppose, is that you can at the start can underestimate the amount of potential redress or um, the, the potential disruption to the core business model from, um, you know, big regulatory investigation. It's like kicking a hornet's nest, isn't it? Now, this is this is come under investigation. OK, a worst case scenario, they have to um, pay back this money. Yeah, you know they do suffer obviously these customer redress charges what if then the investig i mean some people have commented what if they then decide to investigate further back there's also the issue of them having to raise more capital that's also been brought up by some people and, and still the home credit business is in flux is in flux and you know i when i spoke with the company they said you know this is very much a, an operational issue it's not a liquidity issue or, or anything like that but if they still haven't, you know, I think the fact that they reassured so much that this is a temporary hiccup and it's still not sorted, that you can see why people are worried because you can't just rely on that getting back on its feet now before the end of the year. And we'll have a new CEO coming in, taking their own view of the exactly. business at some point, uh, which is as likely to be negative as positive. Okay, thank you very much, Emma. Algae, now let's talk about the cover feature that you've written this week. 30 years on from the Black Monday stock market crash, you're writing about the man who predicted it uh, and the model he used. Tell us a bit about this man. Um, well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm writing about a model um, which was developed by Martin Zweig, who um, he, he, he was um, a regular guest on what was the primetime uh, US investment uh, TV show. It's come well before the days of 24-hour financial news. Um, and anyway, on, on the Friday, the 16th of October, 1987, he was on the show and the markets had been very volatile. They'd fallen by, about, um, they'd fallen by over 10% the week before. And he was asked, you know, what, what should we make of this? And wh- while the other guests said, oh, yeah, it'll we'll be all right or something along those lines, um, he, he said he thought there was going to be a crash. And then famously on um, uh, the following Monday, the 19th, there was Black, the Black Monday crash, which saw nearly 23% wiped off the Dow. It's a great clip. You can uh, watch it on YouTube. Yes, uh, we've got fa- a link. For, yeah. through, for online, we've got a link to the, to the clip. Very 80s. Was Mr. Swag one of these commentators that was always calling a uh, bear market, always calling for a crash, and then was just proved right at one point? Or did the, you, were the, there fa- some the famous permabull. Uh, a bear, I mean. Um, no, he wasn't a permabear. He, was tr- he prided himself on moving with the market. And... Um, 
his model um, was a way was a way of trying to quantify the indicators that he thought were were most pertinent. Um, give us it, a couple of those because obviously you've gone into them at length in the piece, and it's really well, yeah. interesting how you've ex- explained it. But what are the what are the major indicators that would turn the model to a buy or to a sell signal? Well, uh, the way I've um, explained it in in the piece is that it's basically uh, working off momentum and value. Those are the two inputs. But um, when when it comes to value and looking at an entire market, the actual level of valuation doesn't really tend to um, be a determinant of when the market falls. So um, what the, his model looks at is um, the, the, the thing that essentially all, va- all stock valuations are anchored to, which is um, interest rates, because that's the alternative that you have. And um, again, he's not so interested in the absolute um, uh, level of, of interest rates or the absolute size of movements. He's interested in the trends which are going on in interest rate movements, which he found historically were very predictive of um, what happens with them, stock prices or had a major influence on it. So um, his, his two f- the famous um, phrases which he uses in his book Winning on Wall Street, which is where uh, most of this feature is drawn from and the reconstruction of the model and everything. The trend is your friend. And don't fight the Fed, which um, most investors have heard of. But it, but he goes into he's got very precise ways of um, quantifying these um, two really important aspects. Why are we talking about this model now? Apart from the fact that it's thirty years on, there are two reasons. One is that people are nervous, and it's really nice to look at a model which just tries to quantify some key factors in terms of saying whether that nervousness is justified or not. Um, And the other is because um, 87, I think, was the first time I personally became aware of the stock market. Um, I was 12 at the time and um, there were certain boys in my school who obviously their dads were stockbrokers or something. They were visibly shaken by what had happened. And, that you know, having having a kind of actual proper feel of... um, a stock market event is quite something. Yeah. Quite exciting. Even though the markets ended the year up, there was still a huge crash. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, in, in 87, you know, the market finished the year up on where it started, but way down on the peak. Yeah. Which, and, and, and also, I mean, that in, in terms of what's going on with our market now and the market then, because there are a lot of similarities which are, you know, really quite scary in some ways, you could say, ghoulishly scary. Actually, one of the big differences is that the market today hasn't surged in anything like the way it did in 87. And what's the model telling us now? It's kind of backed me into a bearish corner whilst writing it because it, it moved to a sell. It was um, when when it hits three points, it runs from zero to ten. When it hits three points, um, it goes to a sell. And um, as as I was um, writing the piece, we've had this um, these ructions in the market, and the momentum indicator it uses hit a sell, and that took the the the, the so called supermodel, the model as a whole to a sell so the model is um really quite very bearish or what you know not it could be more bearish it's on a three which is just a sell um but it's the first time it's been on a sell rating in um over 10 years and you've got really interesting graph in there where you look at uh, and analysis around how it's done historically looking at what it predicted and where you would be in the market and there's times where it called things correctly the model and there's times where it didn't get bullish again quickly enough so you lost out on some upside but that's a really interesting part yeah no i mean i mean i think the main things are that it i mean it it got it got thereabouts on the on um, the dot-com boom it called it called the top close to the top round then it called it in september and obviously you know that was a big rally towards the end but um 
was close. And then also it nearly hit a sell in um, 2007. So at the height of the credit crisis. But but also it's um, given some full steers. And also it seems to go back to a buy or it has um, over the um, time I've tested. It's gone back to a buy far too quickly, which is possibly because um, the market's less sensitive to interest rates, rate cuts than it used to be with um, rates being lower. And also, um, it's actually gone back to buys um, when it's given these very early buys, when there have also been other negative factors at work, which um, Zweig highlighted as um, kind of bear market factors. So possibly those buy signals, those buy calls by the model should have been overlooked for those reasons. But it's explained in the piece. Yeah, I recommend anyone read it. There's plenty more detail in there, also about how the model uh, is put together, the different indicators therein, and crucially, an investable angle around if you believe what the, uh, the model is telling us right now, what should you do as a private investor as a result? So do pick up the magazine and have a look at that. And actually, we've got a nice accompanying secondary feature this week, looking at rising interest rates, US interest rates, and how they might impact on the gold price, because that's one of the assets people will buy if they think that uh, equity valuations yeah. are about to collapse. Classic safe haven. Also, I think it's worth mentioning um, Chris Dillow's piece on the house builders, because um, he's, he's gone back and tested a strategy of... Um, selling when share prices go below the 200-day moving average. And it's, it's very interesting, the piece itself. And also, it's um, that reminder that you can often profit more by doing nothing. Um, you can, you can, um, if, if you try and time the market, it can be quite a dangerous game. Exactly right. But yeah, plenty of good pieces there about protecting your downside. Thank you very much, Algie. Thank you. And now joining us on the line, we have our small cap stock picking guru, Simon Thompson. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing well. Looking forward to the cricket this weekend again, but hopefully it'll last a bit longer than last weekend. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. uh, we, we shall see. What's weather like out there? It's a bit cloudy, to be honest, but uh, the, the forecast for tomorrow is great. So a good start to the bank holiday. Uh, glorious. This week, we're going to talk about build to rent and and the private rented sector actually in general there's a real trend that a lot of people are focusing on at the moment and you've picked out a couple of smaller cap companies that operate in this area yeah i mean what interests me is the dynamics behind this market the, the share of uk households and private rented accommodation has increased from roughly 12 percent back in 2012 to, to almost 20% last year. And it doesn't look I mean, like turning around at all as a trend? Not a chance. I mean, you've got a decade's worth of booming house prices in the southeast of England, tighter mortgage lending criteria after the government introduced some new uh, regulations in 2014. You've got generation rents, millennials basically unable to afford to buy without the help of mum and dad. And this is putting huge pressure on private rented accommodation. I mean, I, I've spoken to industry experts who see potential for over 1 million more households moving into private rented sector um, by 2021. And um, I've looked at research as well from institutions and Jones, Lang, LaSalle um, indicate that almost 80% of institutional investors they surveyed plan to actually increase their investment in alternative assets with the top pick being private rented sector accommodation. The, pe- the UK pension funds that I used to uh, report on in a, in a past life, um, they have familiarity with um, student accommodation and then have a growing um, 
kind of relationship and interest in the private rented sector having largely stuck to commercial property so there's a big uh, kind of capital supply there in, into the sector too and you've picked out uh, one company Watkin Jones that started off um, within well, student accommodation used to be its specialism and it is pushing into the build to rent market. I know in a big way it's now got a pipeline of six schemes it's just announced a 322 unit scheme in Leicester it's got another in Belfast, roughly over a 1,000 uh, units in total in that pipeline. Um, what interests me on in this company is that their pipeline of student accommodation for this year and next is completely forward-sold to institutions. So the earnings forecast for analysts are absolutely in the back. 2019, two-thirds of the pipeline of 3,200 beds that they're actually building is actually in legal hands of solicitors to forward-sell those to institutions as well. So... We're basically guaranteed from this company £140 million worth of pre-tax profit, £45 worth of cumulative earnings per share over the next three financial years, and probably about £22 worth of cumulative dividends. It's cash pile as it actually um, completes these projects and hands them over to the institutions. It's just going to increase and increase and increase. And what it's doing is actually recycling that cash into uh, private rented sector accommodation. And we can actually buy these shares, net of cash in the balance sheet, for roughly 11.5 times earnings forecast for um, the next financial year, which, in my view, is pretty, is pretty cheap. There's a dividend yield of 3.6%. So I, I put the readers into the stock when it IPO'd last year, r- roughly April or thereabouts, and they, they've doubled the money. But I, I can see another 50, uh, sorry, 25% upside to this stock if... Um, if my figures are right. Also, I suppose the student sector, we should just say there's a huge amount of demand there for a student accommodation. That's not going away. Oh, no, absolutely not. And what, what some people have raised, which is rightly, um, if uh, post-Brexit there are certain conditions which hamper students' ability to actually come to the UK, um, what, what they fail to realise is that Sterling has absolutely plummeted in the last two years. But back in November 2014, uh, sorry, in November 2015, you could get €1.44 to your pound. It's now €1.85. That's a 25% devaluation. And what that means is that a student paying £9,000 worth of tuition fees was paying €13,000 equivalent two years ago. is now paying well less than 10000 And who knows? It, you know, it could be €9,000 if we go to parity against the euro. So, in effect, the affordability... For in a post-Brexit environment, the affordability of universities in Britain has actually improved dramatically. And just touching on the institutionalisation of the um, uh, of the residential property market, you've touched on um, Mountain View Estates, a company that will really benefit from uh, this whole trend towards uh, renting for longer term. Well, th- this is an interesting one. I put it into my bargain share portfolio a couple of years ago. It's done well. It pays a decent dividend and um, quite tightly held shares. Um, what um, what appeals to me here is that it's got a portfolio of 3,800 or so units subject to regulated tenancies, life tenancies, sure tenancies, and grand rents. And basically, when most of these properties become vacant, it tarts them up and sells them. Well, I was looking through the accounts, which have just literally come out. And if you look at note four of the 2017 annual report and accounts, it shows that the company actually sold 182 units last financial year, average price £230,000, and that average price reflects the fact that 50% of the portfolio is actually based in London and another 16% in southeast of England. But anyway, it raised roughly £60 million worth of gross proceeds from these 182 sales. Well, 
the book cost of those properties was £20 million in the balance sheets. And when those properties were last valued, which was September 2014, by property agents Allsops, they actually valued them just over £40 million. So basically, Mount View has achieved a premium of almost 50% the last open market valuation on those properties. Now, if you read that across the last valuation of the portfolio, which was £666 million, and more or less double the current carrying value in the accounts, then I reckon these shares are trading roughly on a 40 to 45% discount to the underlying net asset value of the company. And it's not even as if it's highly geared. I mean, debt is £31 million. Pounds. I mean, you know, that's against portfolio probably well in excess of £700 million now. It pays a decent um, dividend. It doesn't have to sell properties to pay the dividend. It's got an £18 million rent roll, which easily covers the £800,000 interest cost in its borrowings, covers the £5 million admin costs, and that leaves about £12 million to pay a dividend of £3 a share to give a yield of 2.5%. And I, I just feel that on a 40 to 45% discount to what I reckon is actually the uh, underlying net asset value of this company, the discount is just too deep. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Watkin Jones and Mountain View in a little more length in this week's column, but you've got just one extra company in the, in the similar sector for us that you wanted to mention today, uh, yeah. an investment trust. I, I highlighted this in um, a column on the website, a trio of small cap value plays, and the company is Alpha Real Trust. Um, it's basically an investor in high-yielding property and asset-backed debt and equity investments in, in Europe. It's done incredibly well. I, I put the readers in February last year at eighty pence. Stock price now is about one pound thirty, including dividends. That's returned about sixty-seven percent in eighteen months. I reckon there's far more to come from this company. The reason for that is the discount to net asset value is still only twenty-two percent. When I put the readers in, it was roughly thirty-three percent. So, despite the fact the share price is rocketed. It's mainly as a result of the um, investment gains this company has actually generated. And so far this year, it's realised £50 million worth of disposals, well-timed, including selling a stake in small listed property company, Industrial Multi-Property Trust, to um, FTSE 250 Group Hanstein, which I think we're featuring in the magazine this week. Yes. And um, it basically also sold a stake, a 70% stake in a shopping centre over in... Um, Madrid, which has um, done really well and continues to do well, irrespective of um, increases in footfall, because sterling keeps on falling. So the, the sterling value of that asset just keeps on going up and up and up. This company's got £113 investment portfolio. So what really interested me is it's got two build-to-rent projects. It's bought the land, one in Leeds, Alpha's uh, Monk Bridge project. It's got planning consent for 300 residential units, some commercial space as well and outline planning for another 300 residential units. That's a gross development value of £55 million. It's got another um, scheme in central Birmingham where it owns the Unity and Armouries developments. It's got consent there for 160 residential units or so, gross development value of £33 million. Well, in total, that's almost £90 million worth of development value, which is quite chunky for a company with an investment portfolio of £113 million. So it's going to look for um, potential joint funding partners. I don't think it's going to have any problem getting them. And I can see some decent upside in these developments when they're actually built out, given what the property markets in Leeds and Birmingham are are doing at the moment. So uh, that's quite exciting. It's trading on 21% discount to net asset value. The share price in the market today is about £1.30. I've got a target of 
plus there's dividends as well. You, you get a quarterly dividend from this as well. So it's, it's good for income stocks. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, fascinating as always. And have a lovely bank holiday weekend. Absolutely. And same to you. And elsewhere in this week's issue, we have a, a sector focus looking at the prospects for big tobacco following the uh, intervention or preceding the intervention of the Food and Drug Administration in the States. We also have a new spotlight on Cosmos Energy, a high-profile oil company that took a secondary listing uh, this week on the London market. Uh, as I say, there's an interesting piece on gold and how it reacts to uh, rising US interest rates and the unwinding of the Fed's balance sheet. All that and more for £4.90 in all good news agents. And we'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 